0: Welcome to Everything Scary. My name is Lynn and I'm here with my co-host, local celebrity. (coughs) Sorry, sorry. International celebrity. Thank you. Matt McLean. Hello. (laughs) Every Tuesday we release a new episode, mostly true crime, but we've also been known to cover a pandemic, a haunting, a super mad, super strong chimpanzee. We'll cover anything and everything scary. Please rate us five stars and join us on Instagram at Pod. Here we go. Hello. What up? Okay. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Um, so I'm just going to hop right into it. This hop turn. right in. Because you know what? I think this one's going to be fun and I don't need to pussyfoot around it.
1: I would say a lot of the other ones we've been doing are fun. I love just like murder, mayhem. <laughs> that to me is a fun time.
0: <laughs> it's a good way to start your morning. <laughs> Folgers, fuck it. Eh, murder. That's right. <laughs> okay. So my sources for this episode are a little bit messy. Um, because I relied a lot more on YouTube videos and interviews with the actual people involved. Okay. um, Because I was finding the articles had a lot of contradicting information. So basically I went to YouTube and I typed in David Gant and I watched any and everything that I could. Uh, David did a lot of talking following (laughs) the heist. So it was good to hear things directly from him. Uh, The one article I did read was from October of this year, 2022, and he is interviewed in it and that was called actionnewsjacks.com. Okay. So let's hop into it.
1: Let's hop into it.
0: So I gave you a bit of homework.
1: Which I hated, by the way. (laughs) I hated being asked to do anything. uh, Number one. It,
0: It was simply to watch a Zach Galifianakis movie. Which did actually turn out to be a little bit trying.
1: <laughs> yes, I happen to love Zach Galifianakis. I love Kristen Wiig, uh, Jason Sudeikis. Like, all of my favorite SNL. Yeah, Owen Wilson. Like, we're in this movie, so I'm like, okay, this This cast, is going to be a breeze. Oh, boy, did it ever suck.
0: I, I think you messaged me at, like, 10 o'clock in the morning, and you're like, hey, I'm watching this movie. It sucks. And then it was, like, 6 o'clock that you were like, I'm finally done. <laughs>
1: I did, yeah. I took... <laughs> <laughs> I took some breaks. No kidding. <laughs> it was only an hour and a half though, so I was like, "Oh, it's a quick, uh, quick watch. How bad can it be? Real bad.
0: Real bad. Well, Rotten Tomatoes gave it thirty four percent. So,
1: how was the casting? Like uh, this, David Gant. Like, did he have the hair that Zach Galifianakis? is? Not at is? all. Not oh, at all. Really? David
0: Gant was. Um. He's very, very slender, and he's very fair with like lots of freckles.
1: Okay, because I saw like that at the end of the movie, you know, anytime that's based on a true story, yeah. they show the characters and yeah. then the real people, yeah, like kind of next to them. So I was like, okay, I didn't really, yeah,
0: no, and really and the, hair. And the uh, Kelly, yeah, Kristen Wiig is no so much hotter.
1: <laughs> okay, so here we go.
0: So the movie that I'm talking about is Masterminds. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a real life story that the movie was based on, and It was loosely based, but, you know, come to find, because I watched the movie before I really started researching the story, and some of the more idiotic things in the movie were actually facts.
1: Okay, because I was wondering, because some of those things in the movie, I'm sure we'll get into them as they come up, but it's like, okay, this is way too ridiculous. Way too much. That's what I was saying. I was like...
0: Like when they drop the key ring with the two hundred keys on it, yes, and they can't get it, and then they okay, you know what? I'm going to get into yeah, this. Yeah, let's
1: because just go. Let's get. Right into
0: I thought they took some creative liberties. Uh, <laughs> they did change the name of one of the characters, which in the movie Zach character character, Galifianakis, car- Galifianakis sis, sis, sis.
1: <laughs> Galifianaki.
0: yeah, it's Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> character <laughs> was engaged to a very interesting woman whose name was jandis uh, in real life, the real David Gant was actually married, and her name was Tammy. Okay. Um, I think they made the changes to this character because of how she was portrayed in the film. She was super creepy.
1: <laughs> yeah, what was going on?
0: I feel like a real-life China doll.
1: Yeah, like the looks. on. That's another thing I couldn't get into. Zach Galifianakis had this look on his face, and same with um, uh, the lady that played Janice.
0: What is her name?
1: Uh, it's not Kristen Wiig.
0: No, I could see her.
1: She's uh Creeps. I'll look it up. You vamp, I'll yeah, look it up. Yeah, so
0: she was creepy and weird in the movie, Um, and that was not a fair representation of his real-life wife. Uh, at one point in the movie, they're taking engagement photos, and he's laying on the grass, and she's on top of him back-to-back and farts. And she tells him that she's been saving it all day for him. I just, I don't think that's a very nice way for somebody to be portrayed. So they did change her name.
1: Uh, Kate McKinnon. Yes, yes, that's her name. Oh my god, she
0: was so creepy.
1: Yeah, I didn't understand because you didn't have to creep up the wife. No, the wife could have been just kind of like a country bumpkin. Yeah, and she's like,
0: I've cried three times. Yeah, I had to do my makeup three times. I don't know. It is odd. Um, So our main character here is David Scott Gant. He was born October 20th, 1969. Uh, At the time that all of this happened in 1997, he was 27 years old. David, for the most part, was living a pretty simple life. As a child, he had an upper middle class kind of lifestyle. He had gone to a private school and he was even taken to Disney World a time or two in his childhood. After high school, he had gone into the army and when he was honorably discharged, he found a job with the North Carolina branch of Loomis Fargo. And he was responsible for picking up money at businesses and ATMs, and they would have the money organized and then transferred back to the bank. He would later be promoted to vault supervisor, which sounds pretty Mm -hmm. self-explanatory, but it should be noted that this promotion did not come with a change in salary.
1: Sounds about right. Yep. In
0: 1992, David married his wife, Tammy, and money was tight for the couple. They were living paycheck to paycheck uh, in a trailer, And David had racked up quite a bit of credit card debt. And he was only making $8.15 an hour. Oh my gosh. Uh Working for the Armored Car Company. But it was while working at Loomis, he met a new hire by the name of Kelly Campbell.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: David and Kelly hit it off. They would take most of their lunches together. They would go for smoke breaks and chat. David started feeling alive again when he was with Kelly. And he was becoming quite the smitten kitten. (laughs) But after a while... (laughs) Kelly was not enjoying the job anymore and decided to quit, and so that's just what she did. Unlike David, Kelly had not come from any wealth to speak of, and she did not enjoy the lifestyle that she was living now. Kelly had gone to school with a man named Stephen Chambers. The two had remained close after school, and they were both married to different people. It was one night over a bonfire that the two got to talking about their financial situations and how badly they sucked. And somehow that turned into Steve asking Kelly if she still kept in contact with anyone from Loomis. Kelly had had a few chats with David Gant after leaving the company, but the two were not in regular communications. When Kelly called David, he was very excited to hear from her. There's actually a quote from David where he said he believed that Kelly would make a nice replacement for his wife.
1: <laughs> I think that's a lovely thing to say about but anybody, that's I an really. said.
0: And what kind of a woman want, wouldn't want to hear that kind of a
1: compliment?
0: <laughs> a replacement, you say? Oh, <laughs> I've never. Good.
1: Maybe she can clean up your socks, you messy son of a bitch.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Like I said, in their short time working together, David had developed an infatuation with Kelly. She was new and fun and didn't have, he didn't have much else to look forward to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sad existence. Poor guy.
0: (laughs) So regardless of them both being married and Kelly actually having a couple of children, David was an easy target. Um, as Kelly could have easily have him eating out of her hand, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So they arranged a meetup in the woods, as one does. It's a standard. uh... Uh, Yeah, I I would like to talk to you about the podcast after, if you just want to go hang out within the trees (laughs) with me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kelly had something she wanted to speak with David about, and she wanted it to be where no one would see them together. So therefore, there would be no linking the two. She explained to David the plan and that she and Steve had discussed robbing Loomis Fargo. At first, David was very hesitant. This was not the type of person that he was. He said no, and that seemed like it was the end of that conversation. But later on, David was reading a book on the FBI. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. As one does.
0: Yes. This book was kind of an inside look at how crimes are looked into, which seems like a stupid... Why would you publish that book? Um, And it gives you a bit of an insider perspective. So after reading (laughs) one book and becoming no less than an expert on the practices of the FBI. (laughs) I love
1: they just publish a book like that. I remember when I was in mm, maybe grade 13 or OAC or grade 12, last year of high school, whatever it was. um, I remember there was an Oprah episode and it was like, how to tell if your kids are on drugs. And it was like, check under your sinks. And if they're using the screens from the taps, they're making bongs. And I was like... So I went to my sink. Sure enough, there was this crowd like, thanks, Oprah, jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) So don't say what not to do.
0: Yeah, that just just helps out the people that want to do it. (laughs) Um, David had opened up one of his credit card bills, and it was then that he figured out that if he was only able to make the minimum payment every month, then it would take him 30 years to pay it off. David was miserable, and he was putting in all this extra overtime that was humanly possible Sometimes working 75 to 80 hours a week plus weekends. Ugh. Right. And with money, too. Like, can you imagine how badly it smelled?
1: Oh, yeah. The truck.
0: You know, I don't really have money in huge volumes, but I can, like, if you sniff a bill mm-hmm. and then just imagine, like, the walls lined with, yeah, like, people have them in their bras and <laughs>
1: Also, good rule of thumb if you employ armored cu- truck drivers, pay them good.
0: I, I, <laughs> Don't
1: give them any. <laughs> I have that
0: written in here. <laughs> it's
1: great. Minimum wage, I, 30 years to pay off credit card debt. My yet. very
0: next sentence is, and the irony of being <sighs> so underpaid while dealing with cash in the millions was not lost on it. That's him. <laughs>
1: right. It's like, every time you look back, like...
0: The, like d- David, just your payday, just grab one of the bills off the top of that, mm, that pile of bills there. Yeah. Uh, So he decided, what the hell? This was huge. And to quote David, it was not stealing $140 and smokes from the (laughs) 7-Eleven. If they could pull this off, they would be set. David said in the book that he read, it basically explained that if he could pull off the heist and get out of the country, then all he would have to do was sit on the money for two years. Uh, After two years, the case would be no more than a dusty file on someone's desk. Not to mention, the money that they would be stealing would be practically untraceable as it would be picked up from many different locations and the bills would be non sequential serial numbers. Okay. Uh, He called Kelly back and once again they met in the woods and that was when they discussed the plan in its entirety.
1: So in the movie, they meet at the restaurant. Is that what this meeting is? Yes. Okay. Yes, it was in the
0: woods. I guess it's not as funny if. You know.
1: Yeah, that's true. That was probably one of the only funny parts oh, of the Owen Wilson was behind. Owen oh, Wilson's head.
0: <laughs> He's like, call me Geppetto. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I
1: think you mean. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the plan was this. It had to be on a weekend because David knew just how understaffed they were, probably due to the lack of payment. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Sometimes he was the only one working, and he would load up one of the armored trucks, and they would drive to an agreed-upon place. They would leave the Loomis vehicle for Steve and Kelly would take David to the airport with $50,000 in cash on him and would give him a little bit of money to get his life in Mexico started. Once the dust settled, Kelly and her kids would go and live in Mexico with David, and after waiting the two years, the payout would be terrific. He would have his money, he would have Kelly, it was going to be great. So, on October 4th of 1997, this was going to be the day. Um, before I get into the heist, I do want to take a little bit of a detour.
1: (laughs) All right. Grab a Timbit.
0: (laughs) Uh, because the main story I'm telling you here is just straight up buffoonery. I love it. But there was another robbery that was so well planned and executed. In my opinion, it almost seems like the script for like a Leonardo DiCaprio movie.
1: Oh. Have you
0: heard of Anthony Carruccio? Obviously. Have no, I have,
1: yeah, but tell the listeners. <laughs> I obviously know, but that's just for the listeners' sake.
0: Uh, very handsome young man.
1: Okay, you so were taking he, some liberties.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was also known as the Craigslist robber. Um, and if anybody out there wants me to do a deep dive into this one, just say the word because it's so interesting. I think
1: anything Craigslist will fit the pod, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's true. <laughs> um, so in 2008 in Monroe, Washington, 28 year old Anthony was planning to rob a Brinks truck. As much as I shouldn't be saying this, he's kind of iconic. <laughs> OK, nice. For three months, he monitored the schedule of the Brinks armored car and well, also hand dredging a creek in woods nearby. He ended up creating a cable and pulley system that would quickly pull him upstream using a canvas-wrapped inner tube.
1: Oh, my God.
0: So a rubber tube as if, like, you'd go, like, tubing mm-hmm. down a hill, um, but wrapped in canvas so it would avoid getting any punctures in it. Um, and that's not even close to the best part. The best part is that he took out an ad on Craigslist offering a job that would pay twenty-eight seventy-five an hour. It was a city cleanup job. He had just asked that the individuals applying would wear a certain outfit, which was jeans, a blue shirt, work boots, and a yellow safety vest. Um, They were also to wear a painter's mask and safety goggles. And being that this was considered a high-paying position and anybody could apply for it, there was a large turnout. Anthony wore that exact same outfit. Yeah,
1: so good!
0: (laughs) So... After he pepper sprayed the Brinks worker in the face, which poor guy's probably making eight fifteen an hour. <laughs> but he made off with two big bags of money. And it was nearly impossible to pick him out of the giant crowd because all of the people were dressed the same. Yeah. And he asked the applicants to meet in the Bank of America parking lot. So Anthony made off with roughly about $400,000 in cash. He then traveled upstream for 200 yards. He finished his upstream trip behind some businesses in an industrial area. He removed his costume and wig, and he climbed into the trunk of a getaway vehicle. He eventually got caught because an unhoused man noticed a man retrieving a costume from behind a dumpster a few weeks before the robbery. Oh. As Anthony was doing a dry run, and the man had found it so strange that he had noted the license plate number. Oh.
1: I don't know why they don't do use more unhoused people because that's their, like, you know, when your room is out of whack, right? Once, that's their house. exactly So and, if something's out of place, yep. go to them. And
0: you know what? They were going around. I didn't do a deep dive, but I do know the story pretty well. And they were giving out, I believe it was McDonald's gift certificates to the unhoused people. And this guy was like, yeah, I have this license plate written down right here. Do you want to just look into that? And that was his undoing. Um Anthony was sentenced to 72 months in jail and was released in April of 2013. Wow. So cool, though, eh? I-, <laughs> I like the planning.
1: Like, you think, like, if you just
0: that one f- went
1: legit, think oh. of the industry that you could find, you I know, love- like with that brain.
0: And I, when I first heard the story, I was like, oh, my God, I kind of feel bad for all these people that, you know, they want a job. They probably went out and bought the uniforms. <laughs> they're all just <laughs> hanging out. Oh, yeah. No, I forgot about <laughs> all those people
1: <laughs> waiting for the job. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. But it is genius. I love that. Totally. Okay, so now we're back to David. All right. Um, October 4th, 1997. It was a Saturday. And as expected, David was on his own. Pretty much. He did have a trainee with him. But at the end of their shift, he allowed the trainee to go home. He would lock up on his own. Kelly had David's cell phone and would be communicating with him through the cell phone to either the landline in the warehouse or David's pager. The plan had originally been for David to load up the truck and be leaving the property around 5 p.m. But as it happened, one of the trucks that was dropping off was running late, so now it wouldn't be until 6.30 or 7 until he was able to drive off with the stolen money.
1: Oh, because they had to wait for the last bit of cash. I gotcha.
0: David was starting to get nervous, and he said he knew as soon as he put the first dollar in the truck, he was in it for the long haul. He said, as soon as I stole $1, I had to steal them all.
1: Yeah, true. There's probably not much difference in your jail time. It's right, eh? (laughs)
0: Uh, Eric Payne was Steven's friend and unbeknownst to David, he was to meet him after the heist and transfer the money into a rental van. He sat in the parking lot of his employers, which was Reynolds and Reynolds. Kelly, Steve, and Steve's friend, Scott Grant, would wait across the street from the Loomis warehouse and wait for David to emerge uh, with the fully loaded armored truck. They were getting impatient and Kelly kept paging David with her code for I love you, which they do do in the movie, the 143.
1: 143, yeah.
0: Uh, after a few of these messages, David called her from the landline, slightly irritated, and asked her to let him be, as he was already busy and anxious. Not to mention, he was in the middle of loading up over twenty eight hundred pounds of money. Imagine,
1: on <laughs> Unre- like in it. So in the movie, it's the walkie talkie, right? Yeah. So this is the okay.
0: And that's they figured out because they could see that his phone was calling in to Loomis too when they checked all the records. Oh, um,
1: wow. Mm-hmm.
0: So after the van was fully loaded, David took a step back, put his arms out, and spun in circles for a few seconds. Mm-hmm. For anyone who's seen the Mastermind movie, David actually confirmed that how Zach Galifianakis had danced in the movie was actually pretty Come accurate. Come
1: on. That's a am- that, That's terrific. <laughs> right? That's one of those things, watching the movie. You're like, this you're is like, so out there. It's
0: so silly. Like,
1: I get it, taking comedic license, but this is a little too much yep. on a true story. And oh, that's, that's exactly...
0: He was Amazing. a consultant for the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: That's terrific.
0: So after the armored van was loaded right up to the top with money, David retrieved two security tapes from the VCR in a cupboard. Little did he know that there was actually three tapes that he <sighs> should have taken. Yeah. David was ready to go, but the only problem was he was locked into the warehouse parking lot. The last van to have dropped off that night had chained the gate shuts, which was protocol because no one else should have been leaving through that armored right. car exit. Um, that's when Steve's friend Scott got out and started helping David remove the chain. David was not happy to find out about his new accomplice, but now he was out and Steve and Kelly, both in different vehicles, followed him to the Reynolds and Reynolds parking lot. David said that the drive away from the warehouse was the best drive he had ever taken and he was almost euphoric.
1: Wow. I would be, I would be freaking out. Right.
0: So listen, he says, until he saw a police car staked on the side of the road. As he was sitting at a red light, he said his stomach dropped and he was shaking too badly to even light a cigarette. But the light changed and the cruiser did not follow. Wow. He then pulled into the Reynolds and Reynolds parking lot. And that's when David met Eric Payne, another accomplice that he had not been informed of. <laughs> Jeez. David handed the key ring to Eric and got into Kelly's car. Only problem was the key ring contained 200 keys and David had not informed them what key would they would need to access the cash. They tried a few to no luck. So they started trying to break into the van with literal sticks and stones.
1: And an armored vehicle.
0: To no one's surprise, the armored car, true to its name, did not allow them access. <laughs> so they did the only thing that they could do, and they tried each individual key until they finally found the one that worked.
1: Was that in the movie? I don't remember that
0: part. Yeah, but they dropped the key ring. So that oh, like, yeah, that's and then right. And they're trying to get it. But yeah, they um, he just handed them the key ring in, like yeah. his haze of euphoria, I guess. Uh, Stephen had brought three giant barrels to hide the money in. Unfortunately, they quickly ran out of room and decided to leave behind the ones, fives, and tens, which would equal about $3.3 million. With the blue barrels, they had fully stocked of cash. They topped them off with dog food. So if for whatever reason they got stopped, they were just your everyday folks transferring three large blue barrels of dog food. And only dog food. Just your everyday
1: folks. <laughs> That's what I giant do. Giant barrels of dog food. Yep. Not in the bags. Industrial <laughs> <laughs> servings.
0: Um, when David and Kelly reached the Columbia Metropolitan Airport in South Carolina, they probably should have at very least made a flight reservation or even called us when the next flight to Mexico oh, would be. Oh, God. Because it was only upon their arrival that they discovered that the Columbia Metropolitan Airport did not do international flights <sighs> at all. And they were actually closing soon because it was later in the evening on a Saturday. Oh,
1: that's hilarious. The airport closes.
0: Yep. So Kelly called Steve and asked what he would like her to do with David. Steve told her to bring him to Atlanta and then have him take a bus to Cancun. (laughs) And that's just what they did. David was now on a bus and headed towards beautiful, sunny Cancun. Wow. Steve Chambers had paid a man $50,000 for his birth certificate. He'd gotten a fake ID made up for David to use. The day after the heist... Tammy, David's wife, called 911. She was growing concerned about her husband, who should have been home by dinner the night before. She advised them where he worked, and an officer went to check out the warehouse. When he arrived, he instantly noticed that the chain-linked fence was open. He walked in, and when he realized the actual warehouse door was left open, he called for backup.
1: Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Good instincts.
0: (laughs) Once the authorities had arrived, they quickly noticed that it did not appear as though someone had broken in. It was all very quiet inside, and after clearing it, the morning warehouse workers had arrived. They could not locate the keys to the vault anywhere. They noticed the missing armored vehicle, and they noticed that David Gant's vehicle was still in the parking lot.
1: <laughs> I love the, the movie was called Mastermind. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you just think of, like, I don't know, a bald guy with glasses. They also, <laughs> you know,
0: pulling the strings. There was also a, um, a documentary, and it was called The... I think it was the unperfect plan. Like it wasn't imperfect, it was like unperfect, <laughs> unperfect. like it just cuz it's so stupid. <laughs> um what was even stranger was that the vault actually seemed to have a 5-day delay on it. Therefore even if they could find the keys, they would not be able to gain access. So they called what I assume would be a blacksmith in well, order to get the vault door open. Like blacksmith? No, know. oh
1: yeah, maybe a blacksmith. They just like
0: zzz, zzz, Lasered it off at oh, the hinges. Cool. Is that a? I don't know.
1: Um, what is it called? Like a, something lance, like a laser lance or something? Yep. Yeah, I thought in some whodunit movie. Okay, maybe ocean, one of the oceans.
0: The oceans. Got it. So it's definitely the. It's
1: for sure a, a real thing.
0: <laughs> um, and once it was off, it was painfully clear that they had been cleaned out. Wow. Like I said, David had the foresight to take two of the three security tapes. Unfortunately for David, the tape that he didn't take was the one that was pointed right at the truck and had even recorded when he did his silly little dance.
1: Is there footage of that somewhere? Yeah. Oh.
0: It was starting to look like this was an inside job. I can't wait. (laughs) It was clearly done by Gant, but they didn't know if maybe. (laughs) His car was in the parking lot. (laughs) And his wedding ring was inside of the car. He's like. Bye, Jandis. Rich and single. (laughs) (laughs) So it was clearly done by Gantt, but they didn't know if maybe it was something that he had been threatened into doing. Uh, They didn't know if he was still alive. Um, In his personal vehicle, they found that he had left his wedding ring behind, and it was starting to look more like David Gantt himself had just pulled off one of the biggest heists on American soil. No
1: wedding ring. Play is going to play.
0: Yeah. Play is going to play. Play, (laughs) (laughs) play. They got to work right away and informed Tammy of the situation. Tammy refused to believe that David was in on it. Uh, there was not a single red flag that she could have seen in hindsight. Uh, he had made a dental appointment the day before. They went out for dinner. Everything about David had seemed perfectly normal. He must have been put up to this. She was certain of it. Two days after the heist, a man was cutting grass when he came upon the abandoned Loomis vehicle. He called it in, and when they came, they discovered the $3.3 million that was left behind, David's be- his work belt with his pistol on it, the vault keys, and the other two security tapes.
1: Why did, if you're not going to destroy them? Why did you take them? Yeah, They're, right. It's
0: VHS. Like, you could have just stomped on yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, David was living it up. He was eating at all of the fancy restaurants. He was staying at beautiful resorts. He was parasailing. He was horseback riding. He was living his best life. Bought himself some new shades. Nice
1: way to lay low. Yeah, David. <laughs> way to not bring attention to yourself.
0: Uh, but his stack of cash was growing smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. David and Kelly would keep in regular contact. She would speak with him once a week, and it would be through a specific payphone that David would call her on, which I didn't even know it was a thing. Did you know the payphones receive calls?
1: Yeah, in the States for sure. Really? We, yeah, we used to crank call payphones. Really? Yeah. Did li- people pick them up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they'd be like, why the hell are you picking up my phone? Get out of my house. Or like, I'm at the public payphone at the school. I'm calling the cops. You better get out of there. Oh yeah. yeah, I'll be on it featured in an upcoming episode, I'm yeah. sure.
0: Um, but that's how they did it. And uh, he was still expecting her to come be with him after all the dust settled. And it was during one of their conversations that he said that he needed her to send him more money. This time he was thinking more to the tune of about $50,000 which is still not a lot of money considering he alone stole $17.3 million. (laughs) Kelly had relayed the message to Steve, and being the stand-up guy that he was, Steve did send some money to David. He had sent a man by the name of Mike McKinney to Cancun. David would only know this man as Bruno. Uh, The plan was that Bruno would give David the money and would then stay in Cancun to keep an eye on David until the time was right And then Mike would kill David, and that would solve that problem. Okay. See, everyone knew David Gant was involved. His face was all over the news. They had actually run an episode of America's Most Wanted um, on David Gant.
1: Yeah, well, 17 mil in the 90s. Yeah, Yeah, and it's federal,
0: right? It's banks. Yeah, right. Um, And at this time, the show was at its peak popularity. It was only a matter of time before the walls closed in on him. And when the feds had David, it was only a matter of when that he would rat out his accomplices mm-hmm. to spare himself some of the punishment. But little did they know, the whole reason the walls were closing in on them was because of Steve and his wife, Michelle, and their lavish spendings. These two were living the dream. They bought a custom BMW. They bought a velvet Elvis painting, which I think they show in the movie. They
1: show bo- yeah, all of that.
0: Uh, they bought a home in a very affluent neighborhood for cash. I watched a clip from a real estate agent in the area, and she said, Being a real estate agent, I know when people say they bought their home for cash, they don't literally mean cash. But these two very literally bought their home for $635,000 cash, and it was mostly $20 bills. Oh,
1: my God.
0: Imagine.
1: (laughs) That is a ton of space for money. Like, that's a Imagine
0: being the person that has to take that, too. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Count it. Uh, They had all the finest furnishings. They had a cheetah print stair runner. Oh, They're I really
1: thought they were, weren't going to be classy. No, but, well, uh, you were wrong because <laughs> they classed
0: that join up. <laughs> After their neighbors were noticing these two were just a couple hillbillies, and what Michelle was telling the neighbors was that they were doing so well because her husband, Steve, actually used to be a player for the Dallas Cowboys.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: And he had a very successful career. And I wrote here, I mean, I know it was 1997, but I would still imagine that that kind of stuff would be really relatively easy to fact check. Yes. Not to out myself, but I think I've told you that when your morning show plays Hanson, the Oombop song, mm-hmm. which is like once a year, it just it makes my day. But <laughs> Hanson released their debut album Tulsa Tokyo in the middle of nowhere in nineteen ninety seven and I happened to be part of a chat room with a bunch of people and I met my Australian friend, Sylvia, who's a fan of the podcast, by the way. Wow,
1: hey, Sylvia. Good day.
0: <laughs> so I know for a fact that if I can get on there and talk wow. about Umbop and the depth of those lyrics, <laughs> then they could probably check if this guy was a cowboy.
1: <laughs> also, like, I don't know how fitting the casting was, but if it's somebody with the build of Owen Wilson, you don't even <laughs> need the internet to realize you're not a Dallas cat. Although with the nose, maybe. Oh, yeah. With the build? I don't think so.
0: No, no. <laughs> um, okay, I just got a couple more sentences here but Hanson. I'll skip for you. No, no, no. Let's
1: uh, <laughs> come on. Boom, bop, down, down, but boom,
0: Oh, God. Scuba,
1: down, but down, They don't write them like that anymore.
0: No, you're right about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> these neighbors, which consisted of lawyers and doctors, uh, they saw this couple and wondered what their deal was. Now, the media had started saying, if you know someone, who never really had a lot of money and they're now living well beyond their <laughs> means, they wanted to hear those tips. Um, they had nothing else to look into. So, nope. of course, these neighbors in the neighborhood called on the chambers. Chamberses? chambai. Chambers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was when the FBI started watching them closely. At one point, Steve's wife, Michelle, literally went into the nation's bank with a briefcase full of cash, opened it up to the teller and asked, how much am I able to deposit before I have to fill out paperwork?
1: I love it. I love idiots.
0: (laughs) Stay stupid. (laughs) And the teller had her shit together and called that tip in right away.
1: Yeah, that's a good, good red flag.
0: So back in Cancun, this Bruno character went to David's hotel room and when David answered the door, Bruno said, are you looking for some help from Charlotte? Oh, that was another thing. is so this was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. And the FBI arranged a um, like a group of people to look into it, and it was Operation Charlotte. So um, he handed David a stack of money that was only about 8,500 dollars. It was then that David started to suspect that he might have just been ripped off uh, for the millions of dollars he had single-handedly stolen. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah yeah, he was very taken advantage of yes. the whole thing.
0: I mean, Cancun would be nice. Yeah, true. (laughs) After the visit from Bruno, David was out for a dinner and a man approached him and he said, do you know who you look like? And immediately David said, yeah, Boris Becker, which is a German tennis player that he had been compared to before. (laughs) And the man said, no, you look like that guy that stole $20 million in North Carolina. Oh,
1: boy <laughs> <laughs>
0: David said on the inside he was dying, but he was able to get out some story about how he had lived in Mexico for years, so it couldn't have been him.
1: Wow. At a resort, living <laughs> in Mexico for years.
0: But that was only the start of scary things that were happening for David. He received a visit from a man named Robert. This guy's great, uh, because <laughs> I know David's a robber. And I hate to say it, but I've been rooting for him a little bit.
1: <laughs> I mean, kind of. I definitely, there's definitely some sympathy with the uh, kind of honeypot storyline with Kristen Wig and stuff in the movie. So he, he's just,
0: he's a dope do
1: Exactly. Like <laughs> a bumpkin. Like, you know, turn up I don't think truck. he's going to
0: hurt anybody. He's just...
1: No, and he's definitely, he wouldn't think of something like that on his own.
0: So Robert showed up. Uh, he's a self-proclaimed friend of Bruno's. And he basically asked David what he's gotten himself into and tells him that there are people who are after you and they're not going to be happy until you're dead and gone. That's fun. Yeah. And David said that was when he knew that he would never see his millions. And he was now super on edge, so he would not stay in the same place for very long and he would use aliases. David was still googly-eyed for Kelly, though, and he did not believe that she had anything to do with this. Uh, he believed that they loved each other, and he had made a call to her. He needed more money, so he really had to trust her. He told her exactly where he was, which was Cosmel, Mexico. But as luck would have it, by the time that this conversation took place, the FBI had already tapped that payphone. So they found out at almost the exact same time as Steve Chambers oh. did where David's location was. <laughs> when he walked out of his hotel room one morning, FBI agent Mark Rossi stopped him. And David only said, please tell me you're from the FBI.
1: Well, I guess better than an assassin. That's
0: exactly right. Uh, And when he confirmed they were, uh, these were the very people that David had been hiding from this entire time, um, and they now became his welcome saviors. Wow. On the flight back home, Mark asked David what exactly it was about Kelly, and David hung his head and said, if you can believe this, I only kissed her once. Turned out to be a pretty expensive kiss, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I said, now in David's defense... In one of the many documentaries I watched on this case, Kelly Campbell is actually interviewed. And during her time on screen at one point, she turns her head and hawks a loogie into a red solo cub.
1: Oh, my God. So, How did I, that not make it into the movie?
0: I fully understand <laughs> what David saw in Kelly. She was the belle of the ball. Class <laughs> all the way. It was literally like this. Oh, the horking Jesus. <laughs> Like this. <laughs> oh god, uh, Kelly, when you got it, you got it. Oh, Maybe gosh. she's born with it. Oh,
1: oh. Uh,
0: now on Monday, March second, nineteen ninety-eight, which is just two days shy of five months after the heist, FBI showed up at the Chambers home. For whatever reason, in order to get Stephen to open up the door and cooperate, they told him that they were there because there had been a break-in at his furniture store that he had just purchased. Because these two were super good at just laying low. So, of course, they purchased a whole ass furniture store (laughs) with no jobs when they couldn't even afford furniture before. (laughs) And just something worth mentioning is when the whole plan was coming together, Steve Chambers made all the parties who were involved agree. If one of them was to get caught under no circumstances, would they turn on each other? And they would remain loyal and not give out anyone else's name. But within minutes of his <laughs> yeah. capture, he named everyone else involved. Uh, yeah,
1: like the mafia does that and they still turn rat on the family. Like, what do you
0: think? Steven, you idiot. Uh, like, but, guys, we all promised. <laughs> guys, you, you pinky swore, though. <laughs> yeah. I know. We're not pinky swears. <laughs> Doesn't that mean binding. anything nowadays? They're not binding? Jesus. Um, Steven Chambers is literally the exact opposite of a ride or die. Mm <laughs> hmm. At the same time, Kelly Campbell was also taken into custody. And she just had casual boxes of cash laying around her house. Come on. Yeah. Which, I mean, who amongst us, though, right? Doesn't have a rainy day box of cash. True, true, true. (laughs) Um, Mike McKinney, the hitman, was arrested in his North Carolina hotel room. Eric Payne was also arrested. If you remember, he was one of Steve Chambers' friends. They were both offered $100,000 to be part of the heist. But personally... I don't really think that Eric is that trustworthy of a guy. Mm, good, because, good yeah, $100,000 is great. But with his share, Eric paid off his credit cards, went on vacation with his wife where they had first-class plane tickets. He bought himself a Harley Davidson and a Chevy Tahoe. He bought two of his sister's breast implants, which, barf. Oh.
1: <laughs>
0: he also bought his own wife boobs and a nose job. So I suspect that Eric may have been double-dipping a little bit. but A little bit. he was there at the start when these doorknobs left behind $3.3 million (laughs) simply because they had no room for it. And I don't, I would never, ever be involved in a heist like this. But if I had made it that far and then there was $3.3 million being left behind, you better believe I'd be shoving some of that in my pants.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Going back for it, at least. (laughs)
0: Uh, But when Eric was arrested, they also found a box of money in his house. Mm. And when it was all said and done, um, after arresting all the suspects... Why did I say that so weird? All
1: the suspects. Uh,
0: The wrong emphasis on syllables.
1: All the suspects.
0: (laughs) The suspects. Uh, $1 million was recovered in the cash that they had in their home alone. $720,000 in cash alone was found at the Chambers home. Ironically, all of these suspects had to have court-appointed attorneys because they could not pay to hire (laughs) anyone. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah, really. Kelly and David at one point were in holding together and Kelly apologized to David for betraying him. David wasn't buying any of Kelly's shit this time though. Nice. In total, there were 21 defendants. Oh my God. And that included anyone who had played a role in spending the money. Oh. 20 of them pled guilty and one pled not guilty. And that man was Jeffrey Guller. This man was actually Stephen Chambers' attorney and he was charged with laundering money from the heist, he had allegedly helped Stephen launder the stolen money and helped him buy the $635,000 home for cash. cash. Clearly, he knew something was up, and it's more than likely that he knew it had something to do with the Loomis Fargo heist. He pled not guilty, but was convicted and sentenced to eight years in prison and $1.1 $1. $1 million in restitution. Wow,
1: nice! Hopefully,
0: the uh, commission was worth it.
1: <laughs> oh, man, the states don't F around with money, eh? Yeah. Like, you go after, like, and the that restitution And federal money?
0: Remember when we did Brooks? And Brooks was responsible for all those restitution fees. Yeah. Get it, Brooks. Um, As for the rest of them, Eric Payne got six and a half years. Scott Grant was given four years, seven months. Michelle Chambers got seven years, eight months. Wow. Stephen Chambers got 11 years and three months. Hitman Mike got 11 years and six months for conspiracy to kill. And the most out of all of them, although he technically didn't do a single thing. Mm-hmm. like yeah really he didn't kill anybody he didn't yeah. have anything to do with the heist but he got more than everyone kelly cooperated and although she was one of the main characters in this she got the least amount of time and got five years and ten months and last but not least david got seven years six months and was ordered to pay 3.81 million in restitution
1: i love that he didn't get the most sentence. i love the fact <laughs> that he had to
0: pay 3.8 million dollars when he only got fifty thousand dollars to
1: oh yeah that's right yeah why do you get more than yeah that's funny
0: The irony behind all this was a big factor in David agreeing to go along with the idea was his credit card bill that would have taken 30 years to pay off. Now he owes nearly $4 million and will likely never be able to pay this off. After all of the arrests, all of the assets were auctioned off to a crowd of nearly 2,000 people. And shockingly, this was not the first Loomis-Fargo heist of 1997. (sighs) A tiny little detour once again on March 29th of 1997 in Jacksonville, Florida, Philip Noel Johnson was a 25-year-old worker for Loomis Fargo. After handcuffing two of his co-workers, one to a tree and one to a pipe in his own home, he stole his roommate's ID, which was Roger Louders, and fled with the Loomis truck that contained $18.8 million. Philip was making $7 an hour. Not that it's an excuse, but maybe pay the people you trust <laughs> with millions of dollars. Take away some of their inspiration. <laughs> right? Um, But at the end of the day, he tried to cross the border with $10,000 cash on him, and border control called it in. Uh, The FBI ended up detaining him, and $18 million was located in a storage facility. Uh, They were actually able to find all of the money aside from $186,000. Wow. And speaking of Jacksonville, Florida, that is where our good friend David ended up after his release in 2006. David said that he learned a valuable lesson behind bars and is actually quoted saying, It took me going to prison to realize I was a bag of worms. Wow. David was actually a consultant for the 2016 comedy Masterminds. He is now happily married with a 15-year-old daughter. He enjoys fishing his motorcycle and he works construction now and is trying to pay down the restitution that he owes. But he says it's unlikely that he'll ever be able to pay it off completely. After all of the arrests, there was still nearly $2 million that was unaccounted for. Mm. It is unlikely that David had anything to do with that because aside from the actual night of the heist, David had not seen that amount of money at all. He says of the heist that he is sorry, but he's not ashamed of what he did. Hmm. He also did say that he would do it again, but he wouldn't have any accomplices.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and take that third tape.
0: Yeah. <laughs> don't try to get another job with the bank, then, I don't think. <clears throat> uh, David even wrote a book. It is called The Book of Dave, A New Path After a $17 Million Misstep. <laughs> and in the section about the author, David wrote, wooer of the wife, drinker of coffee, father, gamer, photographer, gentleman, and the mastermind of this book. <laughs> Oh, and one very last thing, in almost every single source, it makes David appear to be this love struck puppet. Mm-hmm. And that was the entire reason he got sucked into this. And while he does not deny having a crush on Kelly, today he says it was always about the money first and foremost.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. What an interesting narrative that the the movie played.
0: Yep. And that was my lighthearted story. And it was, like I said, the second Loomis Fargo heist of
1: nineteen ninety seven. Cray. Yeah, because it was kind of Although, I guess if you're making a comedy with all of those SNL alum, you've got to add a little bit of levity in it.
0: I don't know. I just went in the weird direction. Like, with Jason Sudeikis, too, how they had the same name. Because that Mike McKinney yeah. was the actual hitman that was sent out to get him. And that's what Jason Sudeikis' his name was in the movie. But then for Zach Galifianakis to have his ID and then they had the exact same birth. Yeah. It just seemed like... It was like almost a red herring. Like it was a different story altogether. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
1: was so bizarre. And I mean, yeah, it just... The killer with the same name and then he he lets him go. And then they
0: have a fight and he gives them... They switch passports and it's really the same passport because they both have the same same ID. (laughs) Yeah, right? It was just stupid. Yeah. I think that they could have done a way better version of the movie if they hadn't made it. tried to make it so silly.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it was half comedy, half drama. It just didn't work. You've got to either go full, you got to go full into one. Yes. And I think like a drama, like a real Who Done It, instead of playing him as this bumpkin, this money hungry guy would be a lot more entertaining. I,
0: I did have to laugh at the part where she's like trying to be all sexy though. And then she's like, all right, David, I got to go. I'm going to go clean my pantyhose with my mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> We've That's all so been mean. there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was my lighthearted one. So be prepared for some dark shit next time. <laughs>
1: awesome. Loomis <laughs> Fargo.
0: All righty. Okay. Until next time. Bye. <laughs>